Go ahead and open up your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3 today. That's where we're going to pick up as we've been studying through the book of 1 Peter, the epistle, the letter of 1 Peter to the church there. And today we are in chapter 3 starting in verse 8. And we're going to go from verses 8 to 12 today. Well, some of you know, I'm going to start off with a, a short little sort of a story. This uh, morning, when, back when I was in my 20s, I was in a, a band that did music and played music. And one of the, the uh, things that we did as a band, we got hired to be the resident artists at a Christian camp up in the Sierra Mountains, up at Hume Lake Camp. And uh, during two winters back to back, we moved up to Hume Lake at 5,000 plus feet in the winter snow mountains. And what would happen is each weekend, a new group of kids from middle school through college would come through and have weekend camps. And we would lead worship and, and uh, do concerts for those, those, uh, those people that would come through there and be part of that. And it was a ton of fun. But one of the things for a bunch of Southern California boys that was especially fun was the snow because there was nonstop snow there all through the winter. And specifically, at a 20-something-year-old that hadn't seen a whole lot of snow in his life, snowballs especially were a lot of fun. And we had to go from our house where we stayed to our rehearsal space, and, and during the week there wouldn't be anybody there, so we'd have a nice long walk with just the band walking through all this snow to where we were at, and one of the things that we would do would be make a lot of snowballs and throw a lot of snowballs in this, uh, this time. Now, sometimes the target would be each other, but other times what we do is as we were walking, you pick up snowballs and you'd be like, I'm going to try to hit that, like that pine cone over there. And we'd all try to hit the pine cone or the, that tree or this little area or whatever it is. And you just go and you're, you're playing and having fun. Now, wow, the hell's angels are coming for church today, it sounds like. Um, but here's, why do I, I bring this up, these throwing snowballs at these targets? Well, with snowballs and everything else in life, it's hard to hit a target if you don't have one, okay? It's hard to hit a target if you don't have anything that you're aiming at. Now, we could chuck a snowball and say, oh, did you see that I hit that? I meant to do that, <laughs> But most of the times, that's not how it works. If you're not aiming at something, if you don't have a target somewhere, it's sometimes hard to hit. And what we find is it's the same way in our spiritual lives. It's the same way in our spiritual lives. If we don't have a target for our spiritual lives, it's sometimes hard to hit it. Okay? And, and you might be drawn to the life that God has for you. You might be drawn to that life that you heard about through the gospel. Or as you read the Bible, you come across somebody in your regular life, another Christian who's very spiritual, and you're like, hey, that sounds great. That's how I should try to live my life. That's what I should aim towards. That feels, feels really good. You might be drawn to that, but if you simply just wait around for some magical spiritual growth to happen in your life, most of the time it won't. That's just the way it is. If you want to grow spiritually, it helps to have a spiritual target. And so today, as we go through some of these things that Peter's going to describe to us, I think it's important that we even kind of take an inventory of our own lives to say, hey, where am I at spiritually? Do I have a target? Am I aiming for something? Am I trying to grow? And where, how does that all unfold? 
And, and the question for you to think about is, what do you want your spiritual life to look like? I know that with, uh, with many of you, you're very good at goal setting. You've got targets all through your life, whether it's at work or at home, uh, whether it's with your finances of planning for a retirement or something like that. You've got these targets in place. You've got these things all lined up and you've got your five-year plan and your three-month plan and your 10-year plan. But are you that way with your spiritual life? And Peter is going to instruct us here in these, these verses that we're going to look at. He's going to instruct us to aim towards godly conduct. That's what we've already seen for the past couple weeks. Two weeks ago, we looked at the fact that how we act matters to the outside world, the people at work, the people at school, the, 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 those outside. Last week, we talked about how you act within your home, your closest relationships, and he's going to continue that theme through this book. That's a big part of the, the, first, the letter of 1 Peter, this godly conduct, your actions, how we carry ourselves in this world. And what's the desired result? Why is it that he's saying that? Why is he telling you, hey, pay attention to how you act and how you interact? Because the goal is a, a, a spiritual life for you and a spiritual life for others. And that's where we pick up here in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Here's what he says. He says, finally, all of you, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. All right, so he's immediately going to start talking here about, again, conduct. How are you living your life? You, are you, as Christians, do you have a unity of mind? Do you have sympathy and brotherly love for other people? A tender heart, a humble mind. And, and what Peter is laying out here is not simply uh, something like for Sundays only. He doesn't say, you know, when you come together as a church, you should act like this. You should be very sympathetic to each other. You should have a unity together. You should all smile and be the happy church. He's not saying that. He's saying the way, that's how you're supposed to live life. It's supposed to be a lifestyle. And, and here's something that, that we have to understand. Becoming a Christian and living like Jesus are two different things. Becoming a Christian and then living like Jesus are two different things. When we become believers, one of the things that we have learned and, and that we learn through Scripture is that we transfer our citizenship. Uh, Colossians, we learned about this. He said that we've been transferred into the kingdom of heaven. All right, And it's not just a complete transfer of citizenship because we know we become dual citizens, right? You're citizens of earth, but you're also, your citizenship is now in heaven. And that's part of what happens when you become a believer. But believing in Jesus as your savior isn't the finish line. It's the first step. I want to say that again. That's important for you to hear. Believing in Jesus as your savior isn't the finish line. It's the first step. On one hand, our eternal destination is secured. When you believe in Jesus, he says, when you put your trust in me, I'm going to take you with me and there's going to be heaven waiting for you at the end of your life. That's wrapped up. That's complete. Not only that, the Bible tells us that even the righteousness of Jesus is imputed on us. It's like rubbed into you. You become righteous, the righteousness of Jesus. He gives you his righteousness. That part's all squared away. But on the other hand, we also know that the process of sanctification begins and new life found in Christ begins to unfold. So part of it is already done and finished and complete, but another part of it is just starting to open up in our lives. 
And life operates differently for people that are the citizens of heaven. Jesus came to earth not only to declare that the kingdom of heaven was breaking into the kingdom of earth, which he did, but also how to give us, to give us an example of how to live. That's part of why Jesus came to earth in flesh. He came from heaven, left heaven, and said, I'm gonna come down and I'm gonna be an example for you in the way that I live, the way that I act, the way that I interact, the way I go through my life. I'm going to function differently and I'm gonna do that as an example for you. That's why so much of the Bible, when you read the Bible, is focused on our actions. And there's a call to action all the way through in the Bible. Live like this, do this, put off that, put on this. Change the way you view that. Change the way you do this. The way you interact with each other, the way you live in the home, the way you live at work. All these different places of our life, there's, there's a call to action and obedience and a change in conduct. So a verse like this that we see in verse 8, it's not a surprise to us if you've read the Bible much. When you start hearing, okay, I'm supposed to live like this. I'm supposed to change my life like that. And here's the thing. There's a greater value in living like Jesus than we can even imagine. And this is an important thing for Christians to understand because when we begin to live like Jesus lived, it unlocks the abundant life that Jesus offered. There's a verse in John chapter 10 that you'll hear me quote a lot. And it talks about that very thing, about the abundant life that Jesus came to offer. He said, I came not just to give them life, but to give you abundant life. And that, that's, a, that's a very different kind of, of experience of, of living. That's how we are to live. And, and sometimes people get disillusioned when they come to the Lord. They, they pray a prayer, they hear the gospel message, and they, they receive the Lord. They say, I'm going to put my faith in Jesus. But their lives don't seem to immediately improve. And they, they ha, they, they, they're kind of confused by this. They're like, wait a minute. I thought, you know, the pastor told me, or my coworker, my friend, my family member told me that if I b- believe in Jesus, then my life would change. And I prayed the prayer, and I meant it with all my heart. But now, what's happened? things haven't changed. I don't feel any different. I don't see anything different. What's happening? Well, here's what's happening. Their destination has changed. Their eternal security is taken care of, but the vehicle hasn't changed. They're the same person they were before they prayed the prayer. None of their actions have changed. None of that sanctification process has, has, it started, but it hasn't come to fullness yet. An abundant life the life that Jesus wants you to have while you're here on this earth, the abundant life that he came to give us is the result of a changed life. If you're following along in the notes that are in church center here today, that's your first fill in the blank. Abundant life is the result of a changed life. And here's the other thing that we have to recognize when we read an epistle like what we see here with Peter. These changes aren't just suggestions. Sometimes we read parts of the Bible and we're like, yeah, that could be nice, I suppose. But, you know, I, I kind of like the, the grumpy attitude that I have. And if I wasn't kind of grumpy everywhere I went, people wouldn't even think that I'm me anymore. So I got to keep my persona, you know. I'm the boss at work and they need to listen to me. And if I was a nice guy, this isn't going to work out or whatever it is. But the changes aren't suggestions. 
Peter knew that we as Christians are called to live changed lives. We're called to this. He personally experienced this in the, the three years that he lived life with Jesus, but also in the years after Jesus had died and, and rose again and ascended into heaven. Remember Peter's life? When we first started the, the study through 1 Peter, I spent two weeks just talking about Peter's life. And we went all through the, the gospels and looked all through the Bible to pull out all the other details about Peter. And what we learned about Peter is Peter was this rough-edged um, fisherman who denied Jesus. But then he was transformed and changed later into this humble elder in the church who would carry the gospel to his deathbed. Radical transformation of who he was when Jesus called him all the way until the end of his life. Massive change in his life. And the, the life that, that Peter is calling us to here and describing here for us in verse 8 doesn't come effortlessly. Let's look at these individual little phrases here. First off, he says, have a unity of mind. Be united. We have experienced over the past several months and years the difficulty of having people that are united, even in something called the United States. It's hard to keep people united. In fact, um, it's, it's everywhere um, in, in life. Uh, if you study the universe at all, cosmologists talk about how the entire universe is in this expanding state where, where we're in a state of entropy and it's just the universe is stretching farther and farther and farther and everything's moving farther and farther apart from order to disorder. But isn't that what people tend to do if they're left on their own? They're just spreading, spreading farther and farther out. And it's hard to, to call people to unity. But Christians, as he says here, are called to unity. And unity requires work. Unity between people requires relationship. And then after that, he talks about sympathy. What's sympathy? That's, that's sharing the feelings of someone else, moving outside of ourselves. Jesus was the perfect example of this. Jesus was a sympathetic person. He had sympathy on others. One of my favorite stories of this is seeing this is in John chapter 11 when, when Jesus goes to visit some of his friends because one of his closest friends, Lazarus, had died. And when he gets there to where they're at, um, at Lazarus' tomb, he begins interacting with the sisters of Lazarus, Mary and Martha. And what we read there in, in John chapter 11 is that when they come out and share their broken heart that their brother is dead, it says there, it's the people always say, what's the shortest verse in the Bible? It's this one, Jesus wept. Two words, <laughs> Jesus wept. Why did he weep? Because he shared the feelings that they felt. Jesus knew he was about to raise the guy from the dead. He could have just blown that off and said, well, I don't need to step into those feelings because I'm going to raise the guy from dead and everybody's going to celebrate here in a minute. But he didn't because he, had, he was a man of sympathy. He shared those feelings he, he felt the pain, the grief that they were feeling, and he wept with them. Next, he goes on to brotherly love. He talks about having this relationship with others. It's like family. It's like, I, I love these people, like my family. He calls us to that. Then he says, a tender heart and a humble mind. What's that involving? What's having a tender heart, being a tender-hearted person? And having a humble mind, it's, it's pointing to an openness and an accessibility to other people. 
What's the opposite of being tender-hearted and open-minded? Well, it'd be hard-hearted and closed-minded or prideful, a prideful mind. That's not what we're called to. That's not how we're supposed to live. That's not who we're supposed to be. Paul says it this way in Philippians 2, 1 to 5. He says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than your others. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, and listen to this, which is yours in Christ Jesus. How do we start changing and seeing some of these things be integrated into us and become part of our character and our traits? It's through Jesus. So what is our target? Our target is to become like Jesus. I told you in the beginning, I gave you an illustration about throwing something at a target, a snowball at a target. Our target is to become like Jesus. How do we do this? We let the Spirit of God transform us and we change our behaviors that are incompatible with Him. That's what happens. As a Christian, you let the Spirit of God change you and then you also work with the Lord in changing your behaviors that don't line up. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Because you see, God's at work in us, and we cooperate with him. That's the whole thing behind discipleship. A church word for you, becoming a disciple. Disciples learn to respond and act the way their master does. That's the point of being a disciple, one who's learning. You see what your master does and you try to emulate and imitate and understand why does my master do it this way? There's a reason that they're the master. And you start understanding how they function and how they, they do what they do. And then you begin to change yourself to fit like the master does. And they study the master and his methods to imitate his way of life. And when we're relationally in a relationship with Jesus that way, we're shaped by him. And our lives begin to move in a way that's actually contrary to the world that we're coming out of. Okay, and that's where Peter goes on there in verse nine. He says then, he says, he's gonna describe the way things usually are in the world. He says, but don't do that. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. We're to live this way in a different, a, a different cycle, a different way of viewing the world. And he tells us there's a blessing for us in that. Jesus said the same thing in his teaching, and that's where Peter got it from. And in Luke chapter 6, 27 to 36, Jesus describes the same contrary to the world way of living. Here's what Jesus said. He said, I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, 
Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Now, what do you notice from that? You should notice that's not the way the world works. That's not what we expect. We don't try to love our enemies. We hate our enemies, right? We're not going to reach out to somebody who's being mean to us. We're certainly not going to take the abuse that comes our way. Jesus is calling us to something different. That's something that's countercultural and it's excessive even. But so is God. God is excessive. God's over the top with this. Now, I didn't tell you that our target would be easy to hit. I just told you you should have a target. That's what we're called to. And like we learned last week, a deep, genuine relationship with God begins overflowing with actions that speak of God's goodness and God's grace and God's love. And why, does, why are we called to that? Because those things create a powerful attraction for other people. That kind of life, full of love and grace and goodness, is magnetic to other people around us. And even though you feel like, wait, I'm going against the grain of the culture around me, what that does is it gets people's attention. If you're walking in a, in a crowd of people in one direction and you got this one person coming straight up against the flow, you're like, where's that person going? Because <laughs> we're all going this way. That's the way this kind of lifestyle is. Everyone would expect you to hate the people that hate them, would expect you to react in all these other ways, would expect you to not take a punch, but to give a punch. They'd expect all that. And when something is different than that, that's when people begin to, to, to see something's different here. And we are called to be those people because that's how others often see Jesus. It's through his people. They're living life in a different way. And the collected group of Christians, that's the church, they bring clarity to the world by showing them Jesus. And we're called to be a group of people, a church of blessing both in giving and receiving that blessing. You know, um, back in the Old Testament, when God called apart his people, he sent Moses, if you know the story of the Bible, he sent Moses to go pull the Israelites, God's nation, out of Egypt because they had been in slavery in Egypt. And he raised up Moses to take the Israelites and went through all the plagues and all that part of the Old Testament there. And in the book of Exodus, it's the coming out of Egypt into ultimately aiming toward the promised land. It'd take a long time to get there. But in that whole process, 
God sent Moses there. And then what God did is he set up for the people. He said, I'm going to make you a nation. And the way you live your life is going to be differently than the way of, of all of the nations around you. It's going to be different than the way they live life in Egypt. It's going to be different in the ways that you run into people in Canaan. You're going to worship differently. You're going to live differently. You're going to treat each, other's, uh, each other differently. There's going to be some major changes that take place. And part of that, in that, he established a, an entire system of sacrifice and worship for the people. And one of the ways that he did that is he set aside Moses' brother, Aaron, and Aaron's sons to specifically be the priests. And they were to help the people, um, help the people in their, in their services of worship, all right? So they, they were the priests that would help them understand, here's what the sacrifice is for that, and this is how you do this, and this is how you come to, to know God, all right? And in Numbers 6, to 27, it says, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons, the ones who'd be the priests, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall you put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. All right, so the way that God set it up was he said, I'm going to bless my people. My people are going to be blessed. But part of the way that they were to be blessed was they were going to be part of the nation and they were going to do things differently. This is what Peter is saying here. He's saying, hey, you're going to live this way. You're going to change the way you've always done things. You're going to do things differently than even the people around you. But in doing so, you're going to be blessed. You're going to receive a blessing. And as he, God, blesses us, we're then called to bless others. But this cycle continues because then as we bless others, God blesses us and we bless others and it goes on and on. Is that your target? Is that your target? Because that's what we're called to. This is what this, this passage is telling us. But even as we're trying to bless other people, God, not to ever be outgiven as the greatest giver, he then gives to us. And as we represent Jesus well to the world around us, we're blessed in the process. Verse 10 and 11 of 1 Peter, he goes on here and he says this. He says, For whoever desires to love life and see good days. That sounds good, right? Anybody want to sign up for that? Yes, I do. Whoever desires that, let him keep his tongue from evil, and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Right here, Peter is, is quoting Psalm 34, 12 to 16. And the reason he quotes it here is because it reinforces what he's been telling us. Everything that he's taught us in this section. He says, what we say and what we do matters. Your conduct matters. How you live your life matters. Jesus said it this way in Luke 6.45. He said, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. That's why Peter starts talking about what you're saying here. 
when he, he says, you know, hey, make sure that you don't even speak evil with your tongue. Don't even use your mouth for that. Don't speak deceit. Don't lie to people. Don't let all this garbage come out of you. But we know, as Jesus tells us here, it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. So it's not just, hey, stop cussing, stop saying these words or stop doing these things. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, you gotta change your heart. There's gotta be a change that takes place. How do you change your mouth? You change your heart. That's what Proverbs says in two places. In Proverbs 10, 11, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Proverbs 4, 23, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it, flow the springs of life. And notice that that's action phrases. Those are action phrases there. Keep your tongue from evil. Turn away. Seek peace. Pursue peace. These are all action phrases. And they're not always easy, but they come with great dividends. And that's how he finishes this passage here today in verse 12. Here's what he says. He says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. When our target is to live our lives like Jesus lived his and to reveal the world around us to the nature and character of God, God sees this and he wants to reward us for it. That's not just health and wealth or um, you know, name it and claim it theology, guys. That's the way it is. God wants to bless us. He wants to reward us as we're doing what he's called us to do in the world. Jesus honored his father with his actions and we can do the same thing. But what this verse also tells us is, is interesting where it says the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their prayer. Now we know you, you might see that and you're like, well, wait a minute. He's God. Well, of course he sees the righteous, right? He's, he's God. He's He's all-powerful. That means that's omnipotent. He's omniscient. That means he knows everything. And he's omnipresent. That means he's everywhere at every time. So of course he sees it all and he hears it all. Yeah, but, but you have to understand what he's describing here is that God, his, his eyes and his ears focus differently on his own children. And you might say, well, that doesn't seem quite right. But think about this. For those of you who are parents, who have had kids in sports. Uh, we'll pick on baseball. It's happening right now, right? If your kid's been in baseball and you may even love the game of baseball and you go to the, all the baseball games and you're watching all the kids play and you're keeping up with what the score is and what's happening, but your eyes and ears turn a little different when your kid comes up to bat or when your kid has got the ball hit to them or they're in the middle of a play, Right? You might be interacting with everything else and paying attention, but when it's your child, ooh, I got to focus on this. That's what Peter's talking about here. He says his, God's eyes and his ears, they're focused on his kids. And when he sees his kids in a situation, he's like, Michael, Gabriel, quiet down. Hold on. One of my kids is up. I got to pay attention. What's happening here? I want to see this. I want to hear this. I want to be in on what's happening and if you're not a believer here today, I want you to know that God does see you, but be very clear. He sees you differently. That may feel heavy, but that's what we find. Does he love you? Yes. 
Does he desire to have a relationship with you? Yes. Does he want to save you? Yes. Will he drag you to himself with you kicking and screaming? No. He won't. You're free to accept or reject him. But know that if you do reject him, as it says here, the face of God Almighty is against you. That's a heavy thing for us to realize. Does God curse you then? No, because the curse is already here. What he offers is, is, is an escape from that curse. He offers blessing and freedom from the curse. And when we think about this as a church, this is what we're talking about in our vision statement. The vision statement of our church, um, you've heard us say it, it's on the website um, and we'll continue to say it. We desire to become a healthy and vibrant Christian community that is devoted to Jesus Christ and his transformation of our lives as we learn to love one another and our community for God's glory and our fulfillment. That end section for God's glory and our fulfillment, you might have wondered, why that? That kind of seems like a weird ending. No, that's what it's all about because that's what God's calling us to. He wants us to glorify him, but also to experience that fulfilled life that he has for us. That's the life that God offers, a transformed life, a fulfilled life, a life of blessing. And we are called to do good, but sometimes we're gonna suffer for that very thing. Next week, we're gonna see Jesus as the prime example of that. Because even though we're called to have him as our target and to live life this way, and, and even though we have the promise that we're ultimately gonna be blessed, we also realize, hey, when you're going against the grain, you're gonna feel the pressure of going against the grain sometimes. And you're not always gonna be loved and accepted when you follow after the Lord. And there's gonna be times where you're gonna be beat up and you're gonna be rejected and you're gonna be broken down when you live this way. But we're still called to live this way and, and we will ex still experience God's blessing despite our suffering. I wanna go ahead and call the, the band back up here as we now finish here this morning and, um, and begin to respond. And, you know, in our services, one of the things that we try to do, and it's been different as we're shifting back out of, you know, COVID and, and all of that and being able to be in person again. But one of the things that we've always tried to do since we even began the church is to always set us aside a little bit of time at the end of our service, uh, what we call a response time giving us a, a moment or two to process some of what we've just heard. Because a lot of times it's easy to go and hear a message or read a passage of scripture and immediately start thinking about all the other things that are happening in your life and losing track of, of where you're at with that. It's a close one. Yeah, it's me, it's me over here. You're, you're moving me, sorry. Okay, you're good now. You should have it back. A response time is a time that we set aside where the monologue part is over. Me talking to you is done. And it's your opportunity per, to participate by applying some of the things that you've heard into your life. If you don't find a way to respond, I, you know, I, the way I view it is it's almost like if you, you, know, you go to a restaurant and a chef comes out and he, he makes this incredible meal for you. And you see this meal and you're like, oh, wow, that's beautiful. That's awesome. Okay, let's go. And you leave. It's like, 
No, you're here to eat this, right? It's the same thing as we process a message. We're supposed to apply it into our lives. We're supposed to respond to it. You've got to eat it to enjoy its fullness. And that's why we set aside some time to do that. And today, I'm just going to ask you one question to think about as we respond. Do you have a spiritual target in your life? Are you aiming your life to become a life that's like Jesus? Are you trying to change your actions and allow God to change your the way of doing things so that you become more like him? If the answer is yes, if you're like, oh yeah, that's, that's me, that's every day, well, great. Then the way you respond now is to ask God to stretch you in those deeper places of obedience and blessing. Because I promise, as you all know, there's gonna be spots in your life where you're like, oh yeah, that's great, except for the sympathy thing, you know, or whatever. There's gonna be one or two of those spots where you're like, that part, I still, I'm not like Jesus here. Ask God to stretch you there. For some of the others of you, you might be like, well, yeah, I had that spiritual target of being like Jesus, but man, I haven't thought about that in a long, long time because other things are happening in life and I've just lost sight of it. Well, then for you today, in this time of responses, re-aim. Get that target in front of you again. Come to the Lord and say, Lord, yeah, I, I do. I want to be that person that you're calling me to be. And I've, I've kind of lost track of, of, of changing my, my behaviors. And I want that. Free me, Lord, from the things that are holding me down. Or maybe you're here today and you're like, no, I actually, I'm the one that's terrified when I start thinking about God Almighty not like turning his face from me. I don't have that as a target. Well, listen, God wants to bless you and transform your life. And you can do that by coming to him and turning your life over to him. So as we sing these next couple songs of worship and as we wait out the rain and we, uh, we go on with our day, those are the things that I want you to think about and pray about. Spend some time right now in worship and in prayer and just asking God to do all that he wants to do among us. All right, let me pray for you. Lord, I do thank you for this message today, Lord, and I ask that we would be people that are aiming in the ways that you're calling us to aim. Lord, I pray that you would make each one of us more and more like Jesus. And we know that's a process, God. There's, we're, we're so broken and we, we mess up a lot. And... Uh, and we're grateful for your forgiveness and we're grateful for your mercy and your grace in our lives. But Lord, I'm excited to imagine what it's like to live life with a church full of people that are pursuing Jesus, that are desiring to see their lives change to become more like him. And Lord, we also are excited to imagine what you would do with a church of people that are that way in the world around us, of how many people could come to know you through our lives. We are your ambassadors. We're these people that, that you use to reveal Jesus to the world. And I pray that you'd help us walk that way. I pray that you'd help us live that way. And we know, God, that our actions aren't going to save us. This isn't a call just to be good so that, God, that you let us into heaven. We know that's not what this is about. 
It's purely by your grace that we are saved. But we also know that we're not just saved to stay as we are. We're we're saved to become more like our Savior. And so I pray, Lord, that you would help us do that. God, I pray that this week, as we go from this place, Lord, that these things would be bubbling up in us. I pray that you would reveal it to us as we go through our week. Maybe it's in a conversation with a family member, or maybe it's in the way that we're interacting with somebody at work or our neighbor. Whatever it is, Lord, make our actions be actions that bring glory and honor and praise to you. And through those actions, Lord, we pray that others would come to know you and that their lives would be changed as well. I thank you for every person who's here today, Lord. Bless them and keep them and cause your face to shine upon them and give them peace. In Jesus' name.